Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Are here, part three, our last week of our marriage series. I am so glad that you are here. If you have not been here, I really recommend go on to YouTube, go on to nbchurch.tv and find us on there. Go watch the first two because this series is completely linked together. Uh, they could stand alone, but every one of these principles that we talk about come from one single verse found in Genesis chapter two. And it has been so fun to be able to walk through the scripture. Let's read it again one more time. Genesis chapter two, 21 says this. It says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed it up or closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And this is the key verse here. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked. Everybody said naked, naked, and they felt no shame. You just said naked at church. Um, that's a, we're going to get to that at the end. That's the that's the ending. That's the icing on the cake. Um, we're in this series where we've been taking a look at this specific verse uh, for this reason. It depends on what translation I like. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The very first principle that we talked about or law, if you will, that we talked about was simply called the law of priority. When God establishes early on that a man shall leave his father and his mother, he was saying that for your whole existence, dudes, you've looked at mom and dad as the primary relationship because that's how you survived, right? You wouldn't be alive if it weren't for mom and dad. They're the ones that brought you into this world, clothed you, fed you, and got you to this current point. But As soon as you marry another person, that person becomes the primary relationship. No longer is it mom and dad. They're still important. The Bible says we should honor our father and mother. We'd never take anything away from that. But, everybody say but. The number one earthly human relationship that you have is your spouse. Ladies, the number one relationship that you have on this planet is your spouse. This is a law. And what this means is, and you'll see this throughout the course of the the entire day here, is that again, it's a law. Laws don't care if you believe in them, right? The law of gravity doesn't care if you believe in it. Law of gravity doesn't care if you like it or not. It just exists apart from you. And you can say, hey, I didn't know. And the law of gravity says, well, it doesn't matter if you didn't know. This is a law that was pre-established before you were born. It's just always been here. And what we'll find is, is that many of us unknowingly, and certainly not on purpose, it wasn't our intent, but we broke some of these laws. That There's a challenge in our current culture to put other things ahead of our marriage. It's easy for us to put sometimes our career, sometimes our friends, sometimes our hobbies. Sometimes we put our own children ahead of the marriage. And what we see in the Bible is that God says, actually, the best thing that you can ever give your kids is the model and the picture of what a great marriage looks like. That's the greatest gift that you can give your kids. And so many times what we do is we put our kids first, thinking that's what we ought to do. And the reality is, is they shouldn't be first. They should be second. Because there's nothing more powerful for a child than for that child to be raised in a home where mommy and daddy love each other. Mommy and daddy model what it's like to be a great marriage. And then they invite those kids into that loving environment so that, because here's the problem. If you put your kids first, what happens is, is they'll never see what it looks like for a husband to put his wife first and to a wife to put her husband first and then they'll go on breaking this law and then we wonder why our, our marriages struggle and our relationships struggle. It's because the marriage is the priority relationship. Everybody say, all right. The next one we talked about was the law of pursuit. That There's a little bit of a mistranslation, I think, here because when you look up the, the original word that they used, 
when it says that a man would be joined to his wife, or the old King James said he would leave and cleave to his wife, it's actually a word that means to pursue with energy. Now that's different. Because what if I told you, hey, from this day forward, you married her, you put a ring on her, you, 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 I guaranteed you tricked her into getting here. You didn't show her all of you. You lied a little bit, right? Ladies, you lied a little. Makeup is a lie. You lied a little bit, okay? And you, and the key is this, is that, that person that was so charming, that person that was so sensitive, that person that got the door, that person that spoke softly, that person that was like engaged, that person that was witty and funny, keep being that person. Whatever it is that you do to win them, that's what you do to keep them. You never stop pursuing. You keep on pursuing them for the rest of your life. And if you do so, you make somebody feel incredibly loved and valued and cherished even. It's, it's a powerful thing. And so today we talk about this third law. This third law is what we call the law of possession. Now remember it said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's the law of possession. It's the idea that, that if you will live life that realizing that two people are now one people. And that's the way that you do everything from this day forward. Or we can say it like this. The only way that two things can become one thing is for there to be a total melding of both parts into one part. So what you have to realize is, is that on your wedding day, two people got together and they came in as single folk. They came in as individuals. But when you left that day, you left as one singular unit. And so I, I promise you, this is the way this works. If you're taking notes, for oneness to occur, complete surrender must take place. You have to surrender all that your individuality and all of your singleness. I had to learn this the hard way. I did not know this. Nobody ever taught me this. I just thought I would keep being single with a wife. And I learned very quickly that as long as you keep living like a single person while married, somebody's going to feel unloved. And eventually somebody's going to feel disrespected. Somebody's going to feel undervalued. Somebody's going to feel left out. Somebody's going to begin to lose trust. You have to recognize that God designed marriage for two people to become one flesh. It's what we call the mathematical miracle. Normally in our math, one plus one equals, y'all aren't sure. You're like, wait a minute. It really is. One plus one is two. That's accurate. But in marriage, this spiritual union, this covenant that takes place between man and woman, one plus done, one doesn't make two. One plus one makes one. It's, it's a one flesh concept. And so here's, here's what I need you to see is that from this day forward, you had all these single things that you used to have. And what I want you to do is realize that all of your single stuff becomes one stuff. Now there, there's five big areas. Many of you have to follow me. There's five big areas where I see couples usually like resist this, right? Number one is this. Here's, here's five big things that people always kind of argue and fuss and fight about. Number one is this. It's your decision making. Like most couples, see, you were single, and you used to make all of your decisions on your own. You decided where you went, and how you went, and what you spent, and when you spent it, and who you hung out with, and how late you hung out with them, and you, you decided all that stuff. And see, I, and I didn't know this. Nobody taught me this stuff. I had to learn this the hard way. So God bless you. You're learning from my bad experiences. Is, is You have to remember now all of your decision making is never done unilaterally. All of your decision making is now submitted to the unit and saying, hey, hey, sweetie, what do you think? Hey, what is your take on this? Hey, what do you think we ought to do? And now we make decisions together. Because one time I was at Best Buy 
And I thought we really needed a new television. And I decided that we needed a new television. And I decided that we would spend, that we would spend our money on my decision making. And I brought home this really dope TV. Thinking my wife would be so excited and so happy about this new TV, which she doesn't even like TV that much. And what I learned the hard way was, is that I went out and made a unilateral decision and I did what I wanted with our money and I made the decision without including her in on it. And she told me later, she said, Todd, every time I looked at that television, which was almost every night, by the way, every time I looked at that television, I was reminded by the fact that you went out and did something without including me. Because again, this is just a law. If you keep making decisions on your own, you keep coming home with cars or vehicles or motorcycles you keep coming home with dogs or cats or animals you just keep making decisions on where you're spending this vacation or who i'm just telling you somebody's gonna feel unloved and somebody's gonna feel disrespected here's another one um it's your money i'm telling you what see and and guess what i get it i get there's gonna be a kickback to this because i remember that that I remember counseling somebody and, and there was a couple that their argument was consistently about money and how they were going to do their money. And so I, I start digging after, look, I'm going to have to dig in and ask some personal questions. And I asked them how they did their money. Well, they kept their money completely separate and they had their own money completely separate and yet they would argue about it. And I would realize like, oh, you guys are just breaking the law of, of possession because what you didn't realize is that w- when you were single, you had single money. <laughs> but now you got married money. And married money is we money and us money and God's plan is for you to do everything together. But, but I get this. This woman wouldn't ever bring their money together because in her past and previous relationship, she'd gotten burned. And in her heart, she said, I will never trust a man. So I get there's a fear that drives you away. There's a fear that, but I'm telling you, anytime you're led by your fears, you're being led ultimately into disaster. Look, if you can't trust a person with your money, you shouldn't marry them. Now, if you found yourself in this conundrum of I married a person and now I can't, then, then like, okay, then let's heal the thing. Let's fix the thing. Let's get on the same page. I don't know how many times I recommend to a couple, hey, go to Financial Peace University together. Like, go learn about finances together. Go study the scriptures about finances together. Go make decisions together and get on the same page with your money. That way there is some accountability. There is some conversation. But I know too many people, my parents were like this. Because one of the other kickbacks is just simply the way you were raised. So my parents... Mom and dad, God rest his soul, dad has passed away about seven, eight years ago now. Mom's still alive. And, and, but they always had separate finances. And the funniest thing too was, is my dad was a financial wizard and my mom was mostly a financial train wreck. And, and dad had lots of money and mom had negative amounts of money. And, and they, but they lived in the same household. It was the weirdest thing. And I remember thinking, I don't want to do marriage this way. I don't want to do finances this way. Like this doesn't make sense to me. But I realized is that, that's the way my grandparents had done it. And the only way my dad had ever seen it was for two people to not share their money together. But again, it creates more friction and less unity. And so you've got to realize that, you know what, part of getting married is looking at the other person and saying, no, I trust you to do life together. I trust you to make these decisions together. I trust us to join our lives together. Here's another one. Number three is this. Yeah, sex. There are two, like, again, I'm a marriage, marriage counselor on the side. I actually don't even want to. I just, I just end up doing because I love you so much. But the reality is I get people that like, and this is a classic story. Like all of a sudden a husband and a wife are in an argument 
And funny enough, you would think it's mostly women, but I've heard it work both ways. We're like, well, I will, you know what? Well, you're cut off for the week. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, there's actually a scripture about this. As a matter of fact, let's, let's read it together because it's fascinating. Again, it gets to the idea of oneness. Because remember, when Paul talks about oneness, he actually talks about sexual union creating oneness. But it's so much bigger than that. It's just one component of it. But look at this scripture. First Corinthians 7, Paul's teaching. He says, hey, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. What? And likewise, so that's not, and ladies, don't be afraid. This is again, this is, this is like unity. This is, this is oneness. This is not about dominance. This is not about control. You you can't take this and then misapply every other scripture that says, love your wife like Christ loved the church. You can't abuse this. Does that make sense? This is about oneness. It's not about abuse, but look at the way it works too. His body's not his own either. That's why I don't have any tattoos, by the way. My wife, my wife was like, I don't like tattoos. You're not getting a tattoo. I'm like, okay, it's your body. I don't care. Because look, and likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body. It's both ways. Does that make sense? You don't get to cut them off. But if you don't like it, they don't get to have tattoos. It's just the way that it goes. So in sex, you never use sex as a way to leverage. Because that was a story. It was a woman who said, well, you're cut off for the week. And then literally they're out shopping later that week and she wanted to buy something and she goes, what do you think? And he goes, no, no, you're cut off for the week. (laughs) We don't leverage money and sex as a way to manipulate. That is an evil thing. It is an evil thing. So no, no, no. The law of possession it's oneness. It's one flesh. We, we don't ever. So let's go back to the list. So again, you got decisions. You got money. You got sex. Here's another one. Dim kids. Now, let me tell you the way I normally see this one work. Normally, when you have um, an original unit family, husband, wife, and then kids coming into the picture, you normally don't run into this as much. But occasionally you will because what you find is, is that one of you is a disciplinarian and the other one is a bit of a pushover. Right? One of them wants to have law and order and not the TV show. And the other one wants to like let everything go. I don't want to be the bad guy. No, yeah, I don't want to do that. And so what you have sometimes is friction. But what you have to do is this, is you have to, again, oneness in your parenting. You have to get together. Cause you gotta remember, if you start, see, I got three kids. We're outnumbered at this point. There's more of them than there is of us. If we don't show a unified front, they will win. But even if you only have one kid, because one of the worst things you can do is, and the kids will know this too, because they'll, they'll, they'll play you against each other. They go ask dad for one thing, and then dad says no, and then they go ask mom for one thing. One of the things we determined early on, and we always told our kids this, if they ever came to us, I would say, well, what did your mom say? Well, she said no. I'm like, well, I said no. That's the same voice. It's weird. Her decision is my decision. I would never do that. Now, I might, even if I disagreed, I would never, I would never say, well, your mom's wrong. She's tripping. She hasn't her coffee yet. Just go ahead. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. If I thought she was wrong, I'd say, hey, babe, um, you know, hey, what do you think about that? And it would become a conversation. And then we would find unity. We would find agreement. We would maybe find compromise. But we would keep working until we figured it out. But hey, this priority relationship trumps that. And so we have a unified front. Now, again, I'll tell you where it's the hardest is if you have a blended family. Because I have had multiple people just look me in the eye and be completely honest. And at least they're being honest. They're like, hey, if it came down to it, I'm choosing my kids over my husband every single time. I don't care. <laughs> well, here's, here's what you're doing. You're breaking the law of possession. 
And it doesn't mean that, that this, this new step parent ought to have some type of absolute control over your kids, but it's the same principle. It's that nothing in our life is now individualized and you handle that and I have no input and I have no say. Because I tell, I tell parents all the time, hey, look, in any blended situation, the primary parent, the biological parent should be usually having the final say in the disciplinary tone and the voice and all those things. That way you're not putting the step parent in a bad position. But the decisions that you make for those kids should absolutely be done together in unity and oneness. And so you got to be careful. So again, and this goes back to that principle of what's the most important thing you can give your kids? The most important thing you can give your kids is the image and the model of what a great marriage looks like. Let's go to number five here real quick here. Last one, it's God. I'm telling you, there's something powerful to when it comes to like, hey, we are going to church or we're going to go to these small groups or we're going to take this or we're going to read these books or hey, we're just going to pray together. Hey, this is what's going on in our families. This is what's going on in our finances. This is what's going on in our kids. We're going to, we're going to pray together. There is a oneness and a, and a solidarity and a unity to how you approach even your relationship with God. And I know, again, there's a kickback. You're afraid. You're afraid because you're sitting there saying, Todd, you don't know who I'm married to. Todd, you don't know. And you're afraid to give up control. And I'm not asking you to turn your life over and just say, hey, they get to rule and reign and dominate and run it. I'm saying that there is a unity now to how you do everything. One person never dominates the other. This is why Paul said before he ever began to teach on marriages, he said, no, you submit one to another. You surrender one to another. The only way for you to reach this oneness is to surrender and to submit one to another, and you submit these things to each other. No, no, no. Hey, what do you think? What's your opinion? What's your take on that? Hey, before I do anything, how do we, how do we want to think about this? How do we feel about that? What's going on with you? What are your opinions? And you bring it, you make decisions together. As a matter of fact, this was the image behind, there was a, there was a Jewish wedding, um, kind of tradition that they had, and it was called the tradition of the two cups of wine. So what they would do is, is after the wedding ceremony, they would both drink two cups of wine. One was called the cup of sorrow. And they believed, so what they would do is, is, is that they would both drink from the same cup. And they believed in doing so that whatever sorrows they would experience in life, those sorrows would be cut in half because they shared them and carried them together. But then they would drink from what was called the cup of joy, and they would both drink from the same cup. There's only two, so nobody's getting sloshed. But they would drink just these two. And then the cup of joy was simply this. We're going to experience incredible joys together, but we believe that they'll be doubled because we shared them together. And so this is this idea of unity and oneness. And so, so again, if you're taking notes, here we go. Possession, this law of possession, it communicates value. Like you need to know that when you look to your spouse and say, hey, bae, Bo, sweetie, you need to have pet names. It's just more fun. Sugar pie, honey bear, sugar lips, whatever. It's just more fun to call people those names. And it's more endearing. And it's normally going to result in a better conversation. You know what I mean? Because remember when your parents got mad at you, what would they do? They'd use your middle name. Todd, Andrew, you get over here, right? You know, you'd get that. But if you say, hey, honey bear, will you come over here? That's different totally different. So what you would do is you would say, hey, look, hey, what is your take on? What is your opinion on? Hey, what do you think we ought to do here? Hey, can we have a conversation about? And you know what you do? You communicate value. Your opinion matters. You value what you bring to the table. We're in this together. You know what else it does? It's possession establishes trust because it says this, babe, I won't do anything unilaterally. You won't find me coming home with a new car 
when we're having other financial goals. You won't see me just bringing home whatever. You won't see me making you. I will not show up with another television. I promise to the Lord Jesus. I have never. I learned my lesson the hard way. I didn't know. Nobody taught me the law of possession until I brought home that TV. And I realized I did something without her. And it made her feel like I didn't think of her first. I didn't consider her first. I didn't, or maybe I didn't trust her. So I'm telling you, it just, here's another one. Possession conquers jealousy. Like again, there's a healthy kind of jealousy that says, no, no, you're the priority and and I don't want anything to get in the way of us. But there's an unhealthy jealousy because when you start doing things on your own and living out of that single mentality, making these unilateral decisions, ultimately you're like putting something else in front of your spouse and it creates an unhealthy kind of jealousy. Here's another one. Hey, possession enhances intimacy. I'm just telling you. When you do life together, we're going to get to this by the end of the sermon. When you do life together, when you say, hey, look, what you, what you bring to the table, your opinion, your thoughts, what, what you have to say matters. It increases intimacy because now we're together on this. I completely trust you. And now there's a vulnerability that we, we feel comfortable with each other. And so, so again, anything, here, here if you're taking notes, write this down. Anything that we will not willfully surrender to our spouse, to co-own and co-administrate will seriously hinder our relationship. Um, you know, this is true of our relationship with God. Have you ever noticed that? Like the way that God asks you to be in relationship with him is not unlike the same way. Like think about this. So Jesus says these words in Luke 14. He says, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this, and he's not saying everything's not important. He's saying, no, stuff is important. It's just less important than me. So like all the stuff that you want to do, all the stuff you want to prioritize, all the decisions you want to make, they're still important. They're just less important than the relationship. And when you live in the law of possession, what it says is, is like, hey, you're more important. I'll put you first. I'll surrender. I'll deny myself. I'll let this go because you are more important and the relationship is more important than these decisions that I need to make. Let's do them together. As a matter of fact, we have a, um, my, my wife did this because I'm not artsy. She did some type of like stencil and it's above our bed and it's this quote from the Song of Songs. And this quote really, I think, encapsulates the, what, what I'm talking about here. It's just, it, and this is the woman speaking. If you don't know the Song of Songs, it's a big poem where like a, a man and a woman kind of go back and forth and back and forth. It's, it's really brilliantly done. We're going to do it in a series, maybe in a year or two. But, but this is what it says. It goes, my beloved is mine and I am his. My beloved is mine and I am his. There is a oneness. There is a unity. There is a one flesh mentality to it. We don't withhold things from one another. Our entire life is given to each other. So big question here. Here's what you got to ask is this. Is there anything in your marriage that is not co-owned or co-administered? Is there anything? This is the question you have to wrestle with. If you're really gutsy and bold, what you do now is you actually go to your spouse and you ask them this question. Is there anything in my life that I'm not allowing you to speak into? Is there anything that I'm withholding from you? Is there anything where I've never given you a voice? Hey, here's another question. Is there anything in your life that your spouse disagrees with, but you're unwilling to surrender or share? These are the tough questions. Hey, here's a question, because sometimes the things that, again, it creates mistrust. Is there anything that you regularly hide from your spouse? Because I know there's sometimes we're like, I don't want her to know about this little stash of money. Well, I don't know what, I don't want to know where I, you know, if you're hiding things, you're breaking the law of possession. 
Because there's something that you're not trusting your spouse with. And what you really have to dig down is, is if I'm not really willing to trust my spouse, is it something sinful that I'm a part of? Because normally, if it's sinful, we're like Adam and Eve, we like to go run and hide. And so is there something there? So, again, how do you establish this law in your life? Here's some more questions for you. You ask your spouse to pray with you concerning any decision. You ask your spouse to involve themselves with any decision that you make. Never make an important decision without their input and agreement. Um, here's another one. Communicate to your spouse your desire. This is, this is gutsy here. Communicate to your spouse your desire to be confronted and challenged if you violate it. I, even this morning, I asked my wife, I'm like, babe, is there anything that, because I've shared with her throughout the series where we're going and what we talk about or whatever. This morning, I'm like, hey, is there anything that I don't let you speak into or you have a voice or don't have your opinion on and and she's like mm, i don't think so you know i you know we couldn't think of anything it's just one of those bold questions because here's the deal sometimes in your mind it's shared in their mind it's not shared you got to figure out if it's in their mind or not now no no listen 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 there are these three laws the first law is the law of priority it says this there is no earthly relationship more important than my marriage. That is the law that God has established. Is there anything in your life where you're like, no, no, job's more important. Kids are more important. This is going on. I spend more time with my buddies. I spend more time golfing and doing these hobbies or doing whatever it is. I spend more time here and here and here. And I put my wife or my husband secondary or third dairy or fourth dairy. Is there something there? Hey, here's a question. Is there, is there, a, is there a chance that maybe you've broken the law of pursuit? Is there a chance that you're like, you know, man, I used to be so charming. I used to go out of my way. I used to do these little gestures. I used to leave little notes. I used to, you know, I used to do, I used to, if you have a bunch of things where you say, I used to do what the law of pursuit says, now go back and do, and then keep doing and never stop doing, never stop being cute, never stop being funny, never stop being charming, never stop being generous, never stop opening the door, never stop doing the little things. I'm telling you, it matters. And then lastly, like today, we talk about this law of possession, that there's nothing that I keep to myself in my singleness, and then it's put away from you to where you don't have a say, you don't have an input. Now, here's the deal. You've got the law of priority, the law of pursuit, and the law of possession. You know what happens if you live by these things? Watch this. Go back to Genesis 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one, or be united his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Watch this. Watch this. Next verse. Adam, his wife, were both naked and without shame. If you will live and surrender yourself to the law of priority, the law of pursuit, and the law of possession, what you get is you get to be naked and without shame. <laughs> that's not what I meant. Um, that's a component of what I meant. It's, it's, not, it's not everything. Um, the point of nakedness, you got to think about this. What is the point of nakedness? You gotta, remember, Hebrew thought thinks, thinks function, not form, right? It doesn't, doesn't think like, it, what, it, what happens when, you, when you're naked? Well, I'm completely exposed. I'm completely vulnerable. There's nothing hidden from you. And then like, there's nothing between us, right? Like if you take a marriage couple and you're both naked, there, there's nothing between you. And then what, what's interesting is it says that they had no shame, that they got to live in intimacy with one another. 
See, when, I don't know if you ever felt like this before, but if you ever felt like somebody was like, you know, like if you were in a, a hostile environment, you thought somebody was really angry at you. Can you imagine like, okay, are they going to hit me? Or do they have a gun? Or do they have a knife or whatever? Guess what happens when people are naked? Um, you're aware that they're not carrying anything harmful, right? So, so like, you gotta remember, like, when you're naked without shame, you're like, no, no, there, there's nothing that she's going to use against me. There's nothing. She's not hiding anything from me. She's got no, no weapon. No, she's got not. No, no, I get to see everything. I get to, I get to be a part of everything. So like, again, this idea of nakedness means openness, complete transparency, complete vulnerability. And this is what creates an incredibly powerful marriage. The other thing that this idea of no shame actually creates is, is not only is it no shame, it's no comparison is that we are naked and there's nothing else that is competing with us. There's nothing to compare you to. It is just us. If you ever wanted to know what was the secret to an incredible marriage, it's tucked away in this one little Hebrew verse that says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. If you do that, you get naked and there's no shame. Let's pray this morning. There are questions that you have to wrestle with after a series like this and after a message like this. All those questions that I gave you are questions that you need to wrestle with. Maybe you need to have a conversation with. And I'm going to give you like one of the, one of the keys to what maybe needs to take place after this is there might need to be some repentance between the two of you. There might need to be a, hey, sweetie, I was wrong when I did that. Todd put me on blast today. I was wrong, and I don't ever want to treat you that way again. Will you please forgive me? Because I'm telling you, when you have that type of confession and that type of an apology, when you, when you ask for forgiveness, you know what takes place is healing takes place in your marriage. Don't hold on to your pride. Don't be stubborn. You're going to die on that hill, and it's going to be brutal and ugly. No, no, no. Let that thing go. Go confess. It takes incredible humility. To confess and say, man, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? And, and you know what? I want to do this right. I want to give you, again, access into my life to speak into every component of how we do life and how we do kids and money. And I, I, I want you to do that. I, I want you to know that I was wrong, that I, I, I kind of just got distracted with work or the kids. And I, I, I stopped doing the little things to make you feel loved and valued. I stopped pursuing you. Todd, I, 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 I'm so sorry. Or husband and wife, I'm so sorry. If I let anything come before you, there's a repentance that takes place. And if you do that, healing follows. You get to hit the reset button. You get to start over again. And again, these laws, they existed before we ever lived. They'll exist long after we're gone. These are things that we commit to from this day forward. So Heavenly Father, would you please help us? to learn and to glean from this incredible wisdom that you've given us. And God, would you help us to live this out? God, would you give us the strength and the courage, maybe the humility, Lord God, to go and live this out? And in doing so, create an incredible marriage. Lord, that is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And if you believe that, give me a good gospel. Amen and amen. Give Lord a big hand clap this morning. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.